It's pretty nice here too. Uh, yeah. You doing all right? You have a good weekend? Um, yeah, we went to the pumpkin patch. Nice. They've got fall like things to do there. Yeah. We only had like 10 pumpkins in our house. So uh, we needed eight more. Sure. In order to celebrate the season properly. And, and we got them. Oh, good. Uh, Dan, did you see any movies since last time we talked? <laughs> I saw Jexy. You did. I almost did. <laughs> did you really? Yes. That's how crappy a week it was. We, we've already messaged about what a bad movie it's week was. It's such a bad week that I looked forward to Jexy. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like because it's made out of deleted scenes from Isn't It Romantic? Well, the, I saw a Jexy ad on my television and I wasn't really paying too much attention. And it got to the end of it and I thought, wait, what? And I rewound the ad to make sure I hadn't missed anything. And I hadn't. It was such a nothing ad. And I thought, oh, this is a troubled film. This is this is the best that they can put out. It doesn't teach us anything about what it means or what's going on in the movie. Yeah. And yeah, it's about as bad as you might expect. <laughs> so it, it's, it's like it's like when you see a, a commercial for like fast food and some gross new sandwich and you have to go try it. Yeah, I guess the ad so. worked on you. I, I really didn't go for a hate watch. I was, it was a curiosity for me and it's actually straight up poorly made things like just the camera bobs around for no reason. It quick in zoom in quick zoom out for no reason, I guess, cause nothing's happening. They're just trying to add interest <laughs> Um, I won't spend too much time on it because it's just, it's real bad. Um, Adam Devine stars as Phil, this guy who really likes his phone and he gets a new phone with an abusive operating system slash personal assistant named Jexy. And at first it seems like Jexy is smart mouthed and offering some tough love to help get Phil out of his comfort zone to ask out this girl he likes and to finally go out with his coworkers like they're always asking and sort of get a life instead of being at home alone all the time. But then in the very last act, I would say the last 10 minutes of the movie, Jexy becomes possessive and vindictive and sends nudes of Phil to his entire office and gets him fired. And we have to see Phil full frontal and wow. since there's been nothing else like that in the movie, of course, we're jolted. And sure. Phil, you know, almost loses his girlfriend because her ex-fiance comes back to town. And he says, with these words, I'm actively trying to get her back. And the two of them are going to go vacation in Brazil. And Phil doesn't like this. And the girlfriend thinks he's being unreasonable and possessive. And why do you think anything would happen? You're, you live in so much fear, Phil. Um, but then she decides not to go and to the fiance leaves and they get back together and Jexy um, decides that really he's better off with the girlfriend and lets him go. Um, but not before um, she entices him into sex with her that includes plugging and unplugging. Oh, I was going to say Jexy does. Jexy does. <laughs> plugging and unplugging the uh, charging cord at fast velocity until she reaches climax wow. in a bizarre scene. 
that's just that's just reckless use of your electronics. That's not good for the power source. That's not good for the cable. Right. Um, he works at a um, like viral list clickbait yeah. office, and he makes lists, though he dreams of being a journalist. Of course. And his two uh, table mates, he's worked there for three years. He's never gotten their names. The movie shows the first time they've introduced themselves after working together for three years. The boss calls the one coworker black guy, and he calls the other coworker Asian girl. And it turns out they do have names. I see on Wikipedia, but I don't know that they're ever called them because they're called by their race through most of the movie. Wow. Yeah. And these two characters exist to try to invite Phil to play kickball and have drinks. Um, he resists and then he doesn't. And it turns out they all like the same movie. And so he's made himself a couple of friends. If only he'd known, mm-hmm. you know, for three years sharing a table, never once introduced himself. Wow. It's almost unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, not oh, a moment is funny. Lousy. Yeah. There's not, there's not a single funny line or a single funny moment. Um, Everyone in the theater, but me and another couple, well, not another couple, cause I'm not a couple, but me and a couple walked out of the movie. Oh. Um, the projection room had full lights on, so <laughs> the theater was illuminated. <laughs> wow! And it was just a it was it was real bad. Wait, did you say you walked out? No, I'm saying everybody walked out except me and a couple I that gotcha. was I see. down the you way. Were the ones left, the intrepid few. Um, well, I can't say I'm shocked by any of this information. It does not look great. I do like Adam Devine. I didn't used to, and then he kind of grew on me. Have you seen The Righteous Gemstones at all on HBO? No. You know what it is? It's uh, Danny McBride's show about like televangelists, a big televangelist family. Right. I get that mixed up now with uh, Uncut Gems. Oh, (laughs) right. Uh, Adam Devine is basically the, the youth pastor son in that show, and he's really, it's really, it's a, it gets a lot of things about uh, evangelical culture, right? Well, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, I think the last episode of the season dropped last night. Oh. Everyone's talking about succession. I guess I need to um, catch oh up. Oh my with gosh. That. I know my whole feed is succession and I feel so far behind. Yeah. Second season just ended, right? Yeah, I do. And it's HBO, right? Yeah. I do HBO stuff in big, chunks mm-hmm. because i can just you know get hbo through hulu or something for a month mm-hmm. so i'll pay the extra 14 dollars for like one month when there's a bunch of shows that i want to watch and i get them all done and then i cancel it because that's the kind of person i am yeah sure uh, i did a lot of streaming this this weekend i'll get my theatrical experience out of the way i've already told you everything there is to tell anybody about it i saw the adams family that's how desperate things got uh, if you recall i was going to see judy and right. i didn't do it i didn't i just things were it was a bad day and i uh i'll catch up with it later i guess because then when i went back to go the next night it was gone so <laughs> anyway um so i missed judy and then i went to see the adams family and i don't know if you're if your expectations are very very low this is an inoffensive uh reboot of this silly old franchise 
it does have enough in common with the original cartoons and the old show to to make it a little bit goofy fun. It's not overwrought like a lot of reboots are, but it is just a very, very disposable kids movie. A uh, waste of some interesting actors like Oscar Isaac and Allison Janney, and, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz. She always yeah. makes me smile. <laughs> All the way back to Greta. <laughs> you know, I have a I have a real bias against animated films i think yeah some of them look okay to me and i just never go to them well i don't come into thing i have like an old you know i was obsessed with animation as a as a youngster um, right. wanted to do that for a career so i've always kind of paid special attention to it uh, although I, I took my my kid to abominable last weekend and it was another disposable dreamworks so I, I I'm less and less impressed with stuff, but I guess I'm more willing to give it a try because I am interested in the in it as a, a format. Yeah, um, I went to Spider Man and I didn't regret it. Yeah, that was a transcendently excellent movie. I think they need to be transcendently excellent yeah. for me to want to go. <laughs> they should probably take that note, write that down. Right. Don't if, forget. Instead of artisan films, if we could <laughs> give them other distinctions. I love that Joker was an artisan film at AMC. Oh, this, boy. This Warner Brothers comic book movie. Yeah, Joker uh, did not grow on me upon yeah, reflection. No. I didn't warm to it myself. I've, I read, The more I read, it just kind of confirmed what I felt and added some new criticisms I hadn't thought of. And yeah, I just think uh, it leaves a very, it leaves a bad taste. Yeah, I just so wanted it to be something different. I liked its aesthetic. You know, I wish that we could have had that, you know, a Joaquin performance and that sort of a directorial look and cinematography, even score on a different script. Yeah. Hard agree. Uh, I streamed a couple of things. I think one of them we both did because uh, we were talking about El Camino. I think last night. Oh yeah, let's talk about El Camino. Um, the Netflix movie that extends Breaking Bad gives us a little coda or epilogue on Jesse Pinkman, and uh, I believe written and directed by Vince Gilligan, right? I think so. I um I think it's incre- I think it's simultaneously excellent and unnecessary. It was good it felt like breaking bad it felt like going back into that world it didn't screw anything up but it also it added a little bit of feeling and a little bit of closure but it didn't and that's it's almost like that's a virtue and a vice at the same time because if they tried to retcon or or dump some new revelation or emotion back into it it might have might have left you know an uneasy feeling but as it is it's slight but um i thought it was adept Yeah, I had a similar review. I feel their hands were tied from the beginning because either Jesse has to be okay, which kind of confirms how they left him. You really hoped he was going to get out and be okay. That was like fan satisfaction that Jesse survived the last episode. You know, when he's driving away and the cop cars are coming, I just, my spirit sank. It's Mm -hmm. like, don't tell me that Jesse came to ruin, you know? Right. But um, that isn't what happened. So, of course, things had to be okay for Jesse because otherwise people would be too upset. Well, yeah, I mean, people would be too upset. But that that also left them without too much to do 
because right. they had to have events flow out of where he came from. And so we have to look back with Todd and he needs some money and go back to his old friends. And then we're going to get a new identity, which he just should have done <laughs> way long time ago. Right. And there wasn't much new for him to do because he was still kind of stuck in the universe of the finale. Yeah. I did appreciate there's such a, uh, the makers of, of content, makers of shows and movies can't help themselves, especially those people who manage series and franchises. They can't help themselves but double dip and do prequels and dip back in. Uh, and and oftentimes it, the results are just... I appreciated that we got little scenes with some of the old crew. We got a flashback with Jonathan Banks. It's Mike Ehrmantraut. We got the uh, Skinny Pete and Badger. We got, uh, we didn't get Bob Odenkirk, but we did get a couple references to his character. And then we even, uh, another spoiler, there is a scene with Brian Cranston um, right in the last act. And it was just enough. It was, it was handled so kind of carefully that, you know, it could have just been, I don't know, uh, it could have been sloppy or weird. And I think it was nice. Totally. I don't want to put it down because, hey, I sat down and I watched it. And I mostly enjoyed it. I, I just felt it was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I streamed one other movie. Did you Did you see or stream anything else? I streamed Prom Night. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, be, I don't know why. I, I, I like old horror movies because I just never watched them. I was too afraid of them. And now I'm kind of into them. So, there are all these old ones that I uh, can revisit when I find them. And as I begin to watch it, I'm just like, I know this movie. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> and I realized it's because of Ebert's half-star review oh, that is right. and that I couldn't find on his site. It doesn't appear to exist. I don't know if it's taken down because uh, it's in one of his books or oh. what. But th- it, was a, it, it wasn't as bad to me as he thought it was. It was pretty incoherent and clearly had been chopped apart because there are references to things that didn't happen. You know, there must be deleted scenes somewhere. Mm-hmm. What what a weird era! I mean, wasn't isn't eighty or eighty one like way too late for disco? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think yeah. I think it's tail end of the trend, and it's definitely at a point where it's overstayed as far as being like a movie, you know, trope. Yeah, I'll tell you, those kids at the prom they were really into disco, <laughs> and I the plot didn't make sense in the end when the killer is revealed. I didn't understand the motivation or um what we were supposed to get from this film saturday night fever is 77 by the way so this is okay. late, late to the party anyway go ahead yeah there there's so many other movies like this one this one is pretty poor but and maybe it's just the the kitsch of it that i liked if i'd seen it in the 80s maybe it's way worse now that it's you know jamie lee curtis is jamie lee curtis mm. and how fun to see her young and in a stupid movie like this. Um, then it was just a stupid movie. Uh, had she, she'd already been in Halloween. She had point, been. Right? I learned from my research that Eve Plum had been cast in prom night and then wow. got yanked when uh, Curtis showed interest. Cause Boy. I guess she was considered a draw after Halloween. Sure. Leslie Nielsen. Right. Who I only know is kind of a jokester. Yeah. But no, he's playing a serious role, which is all the more ridiculous. Yeah. I think the opening... I think as a, uh, in his early career, younger, he played a lot of, you know, dashing heroes. 
But yeah, our generation only knew him as the goofball. It seemed like they were trying to give a lot of misdirection and try to make everybody a suspect as to who the killer was. But it was done so poorly that really no one was a suspect. And then when it was revealed, to me, it was pretty random. And I would have wanted, not like I like violence or gore, but it seems like it just came out of nowhere and you didn't see any of it. It's like a PG, barely PG movie, except for how terrible the characters are. And for some of the sex, you'd think that if it were a slasher film that so that the killings might be a major focal point or more horrific or creative. And they're really not. That was kind of the most surprising thing to me. Hmm. I um, just, I have not seen, I don't watch horror movies all month long like some people do, but I have actually a couple lined up. Um, I just finished reading Salem's Lot. My Stephen King binge mm-hmm. continues. And uh, that has a, a three-hour film made by Toby Hooper, director of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. that I'm going to check out soon. And then also, a lot of people online uh, have been recommending a movie written by Diablo Cody called Jennifer's Body that I missed when it came out. But mm-hmm. enough people have said it's worth a revisit that I, I've got that on my list as well. Well, I look forward to hearing what you think. I look forward to thinking and, and <laughs> delivering thoughts. Um, I, the only other thing I streamed is Mr. America, starring Tim Heidecker. Theatrical, very, very limited theatrical release, but also on VOD at the same time. It is an extension of the On Cinema at the Cinema universe, which is an Adult Swim show. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I feel like you and I used to connect a little bit over Tim and Eric. Is that correct? That's true. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I haven't kept up with everything that that either of them has done, but I do enjoy catching up with uh, on on cinema sometimes. And the insane, it's like this alternate reality version of of them of Greg Turkington and Tim Heidecker. Uh, are you familiar at all with that show? No. So Heidecker p- plays like a uh, a weird heightened version of himself, who um, he's like. <laughs> He's on trial for murder, but there's a mistrial, so technically he's not a murderer. He gave a bunch of kids at a music festival bad vape juice, and they had bad trips, and a bunch of them died. And now he's running. Uh, the The lawyer that prosecuted him is also the DA of uh, of San Bernardino, and so in this movie, he's trying to get revenge by running for DA, and it's it's just a weird kind of you know mix of fiction and reality where he goes out in public and he's putting up real posters and, and talking to real people. And there's, you know, it's got a shades of political commentary on the things that are going on in America right now. Uh, but it's not too heavy handed. It's very silly and ultimately doesn't really go anywhere, but I, I enjoyed it just because I already had kind of a toe dipped into that universe. And it, uh, it was somewhat satisfying because of that. I mean, it sounds like the sort of thing I might watch. Yeah. Just, you know, cringe, cringe comedy. Right. <laughs> My favorite kind. Yes. Uh, all right. I think that's everything for me. Shall we take a break, Dan? Let's do it. And then we're going to talk about a movie. See you all in a few. back 
Dan, this week's movie is a Dan movie. Uh, so why don't you introduce us to the film? Sure. My dubious selection is For Your Consideration, which is a 2006 American, it says mockumentary film, but I'm not sure that I'd call it that, hmm. directed by Christopher yeah. Guest. And uh, has all the usual crew that goes along with Guest. Um, Eugene Levy is the co-writer. Both of them star in the film. And it is a phrase, the title is a phrase used to promote films for honors like the Oscars. And we've got actors who are in a pretty terrible film and someone is on set and starts an internet rumor that these actors should be getting Oscar consideration and they all kind of get caught up in that drama and are as is often the way in a guest movie <laughs> let down in the end. So before I go into my stuff, I'll ask you what your memories of this movie are. Well, uh, it's been a while since I revisited any of these guest films, these guest documentaries. And I agree. I'm not quite sure, you know, it's probably being nitpicky, but they're not really, they don't present themselves as documentaries. They just present themselves as something that's happening. But uh, anyway, um, I, I love these movies, all of them, but I haven't, I ha they haven't been in my purview for a long time. So I would have told, I would have said before this revisit that this was hands down my least favorite of uh, the Christopher Guest oeuvre, that it was, I feel like I left the theater back in 2006, whenever this was, feeling like this was an incomplete underbaked movie, that it was, felt like it was missing scenes, that it just didn't quite gel, and that it, I felt like at the time, I remember thinking that it kind of lost the thread halfway through and just became uninteresting. I didn't feel that strongly this time. I think it does suffer from some of those issues. Um, but I really had fun watching it again, actually. So again, these movies, this, this company, this, uh, re you know, repertory company that guest is, has in his movies are always fun to spend time with, even in his, his, uh, lesser efforts. Yeah. It was like getting back together with some old friends. I had a good time. I felt the same way about the friends. I mean, I think that they need not be named necessarily, but boy, everybody's in this movie who's ever been in one of these movies. I actually think that's kind of one of its weaknesses as much as it made me smile. So, of course, uh, you've got Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, but also Ed Begley Jr., uh, Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest, John Michael Hiddens, Jim Piddock, Jennifer Coolidge, Parker Posey, um, and on and on. It's like way down the list. Michael McKeon, Bob right. Balaban, Fred Willard, Jane Lynch, of course. Yeah. You know, um, Don Lake, Michael uh, Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just is on and on. And I feel like that was the weakness of this film that instead of saying no to any of his friends yeah. or, you know, he just decided to try to find a way to get everybody in and that left us unfocused. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would call that a weakness that it is too all over the place. And, and also a, a, on top of that, an array of, I guess, people who are up and comers at the time uh, that happens in most of his movies, I guess. I always forget that, um, David Cross is in Guffman in like oh, one right. very brief scene. And, uh, but this one's got Steve, uh, Ranazisi, the comedian who lied about being at the towers on nine 11. Um, Casey Wilson, Jessica St. Clair, 
Derek Waters of Drunk History has a little part. John Krasinski, for some reason, is in the movie. That was like so, the top of John. I mean, not the top yeah. of John Krasinski fame. He's gone in a different direction, but his top office of his popularity. Comedy. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There is just too much thrown at the wall in this movie, for sure, which adds to that feeling of uh, what am I looking at? Where's the center? But I guess I would also say that more so than a lot of his other movies, this one also strangely and somewhat effectively tries to have a center, uh, emotionally speaking, in the character of, of Marilyn Hack. Yeah, I th- and it's, it's interesting to now see in retrospect, now that we have Schitt's Creek, I feel like uh, Moira, Ro- Moira Rose is who um, Hack is trying to be in some ways. Mm-hmm. I From the beginning of the movie, I felt like um, this is something different. It opens with Hack watching, what is it, Jezebel, a Betty Davis movie. And just that it felt like it felt like such a scripted and poignant moment. That's a weird way to start, you know, one of these movies. I liked it. And I like that she has kind of an arc. I don't I think it gets lost. I don't think it, it's enough. But I don't know. I guess I appreciate while I dock points for this movie kind of being bloated and overstuffed and underbaked. Um, it's very interesting that they tried to do something emotionally uh, deeper and more complex with a character. Yeah, I think that guest strongest stuff is when he goes so niche in waiting for Guffman. It's not just theater; it's um, big fish in small pond theater. Mm-hmm. That if you've ever done a community theater production, you totally get. And dog show people—that's very niche. I think that this. I love the idea for this movie. I think it would have been stronger if it hadn't centered on the actors. And I'm trying to place it in time because this is post um, Weinstein Miramax influence in the Oscar race, but it's pre where we're at today where there's this whole Twitter sphere and the critics are an entity unto themselves apart from the industry and no one cares what the public thinks about the Oscars. This is somewhere in between those two realities. And I think that it would have been interesting to be watching the studio heads and the publicists and the people who are under a lot of pressure to get awards for their clients and what it would look like to walk through the whole season. It's completely unrealistic. And I know that this is a you know silly comedy, but that, that there had been no precursor action that you just hope you wake up on oscar nomination morning and you're nominated after missing all the precursors that's unlikely right i think that they spent too much time on the movie within a movie that isn't very funny or interesting to me that's some of the weakest parts is Mm -hmm. when we're watching that movie i wish we wouldn't have even seen the movie and almost had its content be a joke and have the actors not necessarily, I would want to recast the whole thing because I don't want to put the best people in the role of the actors, but actors are incidental to the award race. There are narratives behind the scenes and a ton of pressure to uh, have a screener campaign or to get people to actual screenings or all, you know, all of the silly stuff that I think maybe would have been more um, ripe for the comedy that they had in mind here. I think you're right, but I think the movie would have had to really commit to explaining that through the storytelling and making that the focus to an audience that might not understand that. And I bet this cast was much more keen 
to play movie stars, you know, quirky, weird actors uh, than to play those kind of characters. I mean, it does have those characters, the publicists and the studio people, but they're just, they show up to be jackasses and, you know, and, and be I, in one, in one scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, another note I have here is that I remember I didn't like Ricky Gervais in this back then when I would have been a huge fan of Ricky Gervais, I remember feeling that he didn't quite fit in this universe and that his role was kind of, not, not that special. I didn't mind him this time, even though I don't really like Ricky Gervais much uh, in 2019. Yeah, I didn't like him in this either, and I don't really like him as a performer. So I didn't like seeing him come on the on the uh, into the story. I I th- that whole scene was uncomfortable for me. Yeah, party scene talking... or the sitting in the trailer negotiating about the changes the changes about the changes and then i'm thinking afterwards they've made it home for thanksgiving did they reshoot from beginning to end because it seems like right, right, every yeah. scene was centered in a purim celebration right and of course the whole thing is silly whether it's purim or thanksgiving yeah um maybe that doesn't matter it, it just seemed like too broad of a a dig that the movie was trying to make about how movies get rewritten. It's not as if this were a good movie that had art or nuance or heart. And then you have Hollywood gutting it for the masses. This was a terrible idea that to me probably was no better or worse being said at Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, so IMDB has listed as a goof Academy awards are not announced or awarded before a film has been released. I that I didn't get the sense that that's what happened in this movie. I got the sense that the f- movie was releasing during or just after that time jump, you know, about two thirds of the way through the movie. Right. I think all that press is happening concurrent with the release. I didn't. It's weird that that's just sitting there. I think that well, I mean, it's a user contributed, so of course it can be wrong. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's just wrong. Yeah. And like shows like Entertainment Tonight or whatever they were trying to be, don't. Um they don't play into that awards narrative, yeah. but they think really doesn't matter and they don't know anything. Right. I didn't understand why um, Fred Willard is trying to be cruel (laughs) to people who aren't nominated and completely invade their space. Yeah. Why? Nobody's like that. He can't not be hilarious, but that his character didn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. That's not a satire of anything. Yeah. So I guess you've already touched on this, but, um, this is, I guess, at the, the tail end of that kind of TV, new, uh, you know, entertainment magazine kind of a thing. The internet exists and there's a rumor mill, but it's not like today where there's like a film Twitter or there's like podcasts and, and blogs and things. It feels very much like the, the end of that old era of not that this movie portrays it with uh, necessarily a lot of dimension, but it, it did feel... I guess I'm I, I'm old enough to be familiar with the world that was being referenced in this movie. Yeah, I I think so too. I felt that because um, I think at 2006 there were websites that I would visit to read about the Oscars. I mean, there was in 2000. I it doesn't seem like anybody in the movie really knows how to use the internet. <laughs> That's true. So maybe I'm actually maybe this movie plays as even older. Maybe it plays like it's 1998 or something. Maybe, or maybe the characters are just a little bit out of touch. Yeah. That where the actors are not really into the the site, you know, because why couldn't you just go on a gossip site and find these things out for yourself? But they seem pretty inept to do that. There's overall a feeling of 
in this one, it feels like, well, the world loves Christopher Guest and his movies. The world loves what we're doing. So we're going to give you another one. And I don't, I feel like they don't like Parker Posey, the character, her characters in best in show and Guffman are, and mighty wind are so indelible. And in this one, she's good. She's always great, but I just don't have a, a grasp of her character on the other side of watching the movie. I just feel like they're a little more slippery. They're a little more like thin. Like, I, I don't know. It's not as realized to me as characters in this one, even, even Marilyn Hack, the performance that's at the heart of the movie. But I don't know if, if, it, if that's true, if it's because they were so well loved and this movie was kind of up its own butt, but I just feel like it, it was a little bit more phoned in. Yeah, I I think that it was a badly done character. I think especially in um, Best in Show, I felt like uh, Posey's character was so nuanced, mm-hmm. and there was there was a real grief in her that yeah. she was able to just portray in a in a hilarious way. And as I was watching her last night, I was thinking just how much commitment she has as an actress. The way she threw herself into that terrible stage performance at the end of the yeah. in the epilogue, and thinking. Oh, to no effect. This isn't funny. This isn't good. Um, she's bringing everything she has, and there's just, and her material gives her nothing back. Yeah, I watched the deleted scenes. There's about thirty to forty minutes of deleted scenes for each of these movies on um, on the old DVDs that they released. But in this case, I was hoping there might be some scenes that you know flesh things out, add some story beats, but it was mostly extended improvisation. It was a lot of Fred Willard and Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. It was fun, but it wasn't anything that would have saved the movie. Yeah. I wouldn't have minded more of Jennifer Coolidge. She's always great. I think that things like, like McKeon and Balaban, they just should have cut those two characters. They didn't to me add anything. They're just like off to the side. Did they shoot on one day? Yeah, but again, it feels like, oh, but you got to have them in there because they're old pros from these movies. Right. So it all feels perfunctory. It feels just kind of t- checking boxes. I know. I, I wish they would have just gotten rid of a few of the people and say, we'll catch you next time. And Guest himself, I mean, the characterization, the mannerisms and the weirdness of the director is funny. I mean, he really loves characters that are kind of shut down and just on their on another planet. Uh but I don't know what he was skewering or what the what the point of view of, you know, it was just a, a director who was peculiar and didn't listen. Like, I don't know. It was a very, it was my least favorite of his characters from, from these movies. For sure. He has a preoccupation with uh, closeted married men. Mm-hmm. And like, what was Ed Begley Jr.'s character? Why was he in this? Right. He's playing like an outdated over-the-top gay who I guess is just married to a, to a woman. Right. But why? Yeah. Is that just funny on its own, I guess? Yeah. Uh, is it is it laziness? Is it, well, there's, he's the makeup guy, so he's gay, but then you can, you know, give him... Why not just have him be give gay? Give him a twist. Make him, yeah. Um, because if he's in the, if he's closeted, why wouldn't he seek to costume himself in that way? Yeah. You know, why... It's very strange. But speaking of gayness, is it is it Rachel Harris who yes. plays the? Yeah, that again. That feels like I was going to say that feels so two thousand and six, but really that feels kind of like nineteen ninety seven. Also, that uh, <laughs> I mean, it was funny, but it, uh, her character was was funny. I like her, but 
Right. Again, it didn't, it, it fools around with like half ideas and doesn't end up having anything to say. Yeah. I think it's kind of like how Joe Biden talks about five years ago and really he's talking about 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like, yeah, I feel that's, that, that's a pretty outdated right. <laughs> um, comedy um, lesbian characterization. And is it supposed to be funny just in and of itself that Parker Posey and the film within a film is bringing home a woman? Right. Is that just funny? Right. And is that in, in an old fashioned movie like that, wouldn't that be a source of drama and conflict? But it's not really that either. No. So I wonder why did they pick that to be the conceit? Yeah. Because really what happens in the film doesn't matter. Right. But it's 2019 and we still rarely see a matter of fact gay person in a movie. Right. It still has right. to be a plot point or something. I think, I mean, really gay people, I mean, of course, gay people are in the minority. So if someone shows up that because of the economy of characters, there's always a reason for it, you know? Yeah. Otherwise it does seem pretty random. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I think that, that, that exhausts my notes and thoughts on for yeah, your consideration. This was kind of, kind of a dumb pick on my part. I was just sort of thinking of it as, you know, I know I saw it. Yeah, and I love these people, and I tend to enjoy these movies even when I don't enjoy sure. them. Sure, it wasn't a chore to to rewatch this. It was pleasant. no, no, not for me either. And I, it, I just couldn't even really remember what happened in yeah. it. Yeah, it's going to lead me down the rabbit hole. I'll, I'll watch the other ones with Shireen, and I'm sure we'll love them. I I forgot until this moment that he did another one on Netflix, right? The mascots one. I did see that, I feel like that um, was... when it first came out. Yeah. It has one funny line that stuck with me. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't remember. Yeah. Please regale us. The uh, unhappy married couple. And they oh, say yeah. something like, we've decided we never go to bed angry. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that one. I don't know. I guess because it's a streaming movie, I conveniently just compartmentalize it away from this, the, the other ones because I just felt like it was not. It was very strange, if I recall. Oh, that's right. It, it had perform. It had mascot performances that made no sense. So it had some funny characters and some interesting ideas in the backstage stuff. But then it was more than half of it felt like it was just these bizarre. And it was one of those things of like, what is this? This doesn't happen in real life. People don't go into an auditorium and watch little skits done by mascots. That's not a thing. Right. I mean, it was. A, I think it's a decent idea for these kind of movies because he does pick these random subjects, and you kind of learn a little bit about a subculture of people. But that one and, didn't ring true. Like, show us what it's actually like to, you know, audition to be a mascot or what the work is actually like. Yeah, I don't remember at all what happened in that movie. I'm just saying, premise wise, yeah, sure. it could have been good. Yeah. All right. Um, well. For your consideration, folks. It said on, uh, another thing it said on IMDb was that there was buzz about Catherine O'Hara, but like her character, she was not nominated. Do you think there was any serious buzz about her for this movie? Um, she won the National Board of Review, hmm. which is a real precursor. Hmm. But if you don't hit Globes, critics, critics, SAG, you know, then no. Yeah. All right. Uh, we will, um, I hope I see some movies. So we have something to talk about next week. I'm seeing Parasite on Saturday. Oh, 
there's no showings here in the foreseeable future. So as soon as I can, I'm going to see that. I'm probably going to end up seeing Gemini Man uh, in Zombieland Double Tap. I don't know what the, what it's going to be this week. Ugh. Yeah, I'm, I'll probably see something else too. I can't believe that I had to like get this special, like go out of my way to find the showing a week after it's released. Yeah. This is a real artisan film, and where is it? Nutty. Yeah. I mean, all the New York showings like sold out immediately. I'm a little nervous about this one. I don't love everything this dude has done, but everyone's talking about this like it's the perfect film. I know. I can't wait. All right. Well, here's to another week with the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We have been Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can follow the show on Twitter at Holds Up Pod. Uh, there's one tweet a week when the show comes out. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, we, don't, we won't overwhelm your, your feed, we promise. I guess your <laughs> podcast app could do that for you. But, hey, why not? Uh, why not double authenticate with us? And um, our music is by Jonah Rapino. This has been our podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, my Josh listens to endless podcasts. He's got so many he listens to. Yeah. I listen to this one. (laughs) That says uh, a little bit about you. I so look forward to when it hits. <laughs> really? Every Tuesday. Even though you know all the secrets. <laughs> yeah. You know if we liked it or not. I do know. I I listen to it loudly in my car and then I pull up to the coffee stand and I wonder if the guy realizes that, yeah, the guy he's listening to kind of, oh, I wonder if, <laughs> if he has a podcast. He's never asked me. No, no. Well, no. He's working up the courage. Yeah, probably.